Welcome to Clets Heads, the podcast about bilingual children. My name is Sharon Onsworth, linguist at Radboud University in Nijmegen, the Netherlands, a mother of two bilingual children. Clets Heads is back. We've been off air for a while, but I'm busy planning and recording season three. You'll hear more about that in a fortnight, but I can already tell you that we've got a great lineup ready with the usual mix of science, hands-on experience and practical tips. Before the third season starts, I thought it would be fun to have a quick listen to some of the best parts of the first two seasons. Now, if you're a regular listener to Clet's Heads, you'll know that in many episodes, I talk to a bilingual child about what it's like to grow up with two or more languages, our Clet's Head of the Week. We've never spoken to them every week, but that name is stuck, so we'll just go with it. Most are still children when I speak to them, but sometimes I speak to someone who was raised bilingually, but is now a grown-up themselves. I really enjoy these chats. Often, as researchers and as parents, we talk a lot about bilingual children, but we don't necessarily listen to what they have to say, or at least perhaps not as often as we should. In this special episode, I bring you the best of, a compilation of my favourite bits of Clet's Head of the Week. Clet's Head of the Week. One of the first questions I always ask our Clet's Head of the Week is what it's like to be bilingual. The 11-year-old Quinn, growing up with English and Dutch, had this to say. I don't know how to explain it. It doesn't feel confusing. It does or it doesn't? does not. does not. Oh, that's good, because it would be horrible to be confused all the time, wouldn't it? Yeah. Our next Kletzhead's answer was a bit more complicated. The 30-something-year-old Christy grew up with a Spanish-speaking mother and a German-speaking father in Vienna, Austria, and has lived in Canada since she was 18. She told me how her different languages were associated with different personalities. I think that um, with each language has come a, a, a different type of universe of relating and being. So I think like uh, when I think of German, I think of a certain version of myself. And a certain kind of personality might be more introverted, more kind of cautious, more timid. Um, but then when I think of Spanish, it, it has come with more kind of like it more kind of joyful, more open, more kind of like um, just kind of extroverted. And then English has come with a kind of a mix between the two kind of the type of personality that I invented myself that was not imposed to some extent so it's more kind of like the like remaking or redoing of christy on her own terms yeah i would say yeah yeah that's super interesting yes. i i also feel slightly different in english than in dutch so i'm a fluent speaker yeah. of dutch i don't really know any research about that by the way but what about like your identity how do you how do you describe yourself when somebody says oh where are you from or Oh my God, that's my identity. It's, that's really hard. So every, like in Austria, I was never quite the typical Austrian because I grew up with like 
a Spanish-speaking mother who kind of also had made it her profession to teach Spanish. So our entire life was surrounded on her side, um, kind of by people talking Spanish to us, by her work being like dominated by the language, and then also traveling every summer to Ecuador. So it made me very different um, culturally. But then again, being in South America was also strange because I was very much European and obviously had spoken German as a has spoken it predominantly so I it was always like never really fitting in so and I think like the languages have given me an access to the world that is pretty broad because I feel like you become attuned to other people more easily to other languages to other cultures but at the same time it also makes you a little bit ruthless I would say like the identity is very hard to pinpoint identity is one of the topics we'll be covering in the upcoming season So make sure you subscribe if you don't want to miss that episode. The 11-year-old Loic had a slightly different take on how being bilingual has shaped his identity. Loic is growing up with a French-speaking mum from Belgium and an English-speaking father in the north of England. When you speak French, you feel like you're like more um, part of a community than in English because in English it feels just normal. Because once I went to school in Belgium and I felt more part of the school because I felt more part of the school and more than in England because in England I still still find it normal and in uh, Belgium I didn't find it normal at all. Let me see if I understand what you mean. So is it like because when you're in England everybody speaks English and so then speaking French means makes you feel different and belong to a different community is that what you mean yeah and here's what Luik had to say when I asked him what the best thing was about being bilingual uh the best thing is that I have a wider span of languages and it's like kind of fun because like a few people in my school are French and we can just talk and nobody like knows what they're saying so it's like a secret language basically so you can gossip about everybody and nobody understand <laughs> yeah <laughs> and is there anything that's less fun about it um no no great it's great having another language because you have a wider span of like uh people that you know uh because they they live in different countries and also i find it's easier to learn other languages like other than french oh yeah tell me about that then so they're learning german right now and i find i can do like the rolling like that like when you yeah. say like uh, rouge and when you say um, uh, the chère, you do the um, like you do in French. And no, mm-hmm. nobody in my class can do that because because I speak French, I can do it like easy. And uh, is it important to you that you can that you can speak both languages? Yes, because um, if I only knew how to speak English, I wouldn't like have that wide connection with my cousins or my grandparents because right now I can speak in their native language and they find that easier. You'd be surprised how many children tell me that the ability to have a private conversation without others being able to understand is one of the advantages of being bilingual. Here's Sarah. She's growing up in Ireland with English, Italian and Arabic. Do you like being bilingual? Yeah, it's cool. Why is it cool? But, like, 
it's kind of nice not always having everyone know exactly what you're saying and kind of like if you were to say let's say something that you don't want anyone else to say you can just say it in that language and it's kind of cool to have your own like private chat uh-huh do you know that's one of the most popular answers to that question bilingual children like having a secret language it's cool yeah for the 13 year old Riaboth growing up in south africa communication is key what's the best thing about being bilingual or trilingual it's easy to get around with some people because let's say that i am with people who don't speak Tsonga or english i can use a different language like afrikaans to communicate with them so being bilingual trilingual uh, kind of helps you get around more and for 10 year old naya Being bilingual is something to be proud of. The best thing about being bilingual is it's kind of like showing off. You've got a skill that you only have that you can say, oh, did you know that I can speak Japanese? Oh, and I'm I'm bilingual. I can speak two languages. And you, you can communicate. So when you go to different countries, so say if I go to Japan and I know nothing, it'd be kind of useless. Oh, going, I want to go into a supermarket by going to the beauty store or something. So you need to actually read the signs and it helps really cool so you're a bit special of course it's not always easy being bilingual most of our clets heads tell me that they sometimes find it hard to find the right word in the right language And I'm sure that this is a feeling that many of you listening will recognise if you also speak and use more than one language. Taking a bit longer to find the right word in the right language is a perfectly normal part of being bilingual. If you want to find out more about how the bilingual mind handles words from more than one language, listen to episode 9 in the last season, season 2, where we talk about this question in more detail. Sometimes it's not the not being able to find the right word that's frustrating, but the expectations others can have of you as a bilingual, especially when they don't speak another language themselves. He's Sarah again. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I guess kids will be like trying to ask you everything and expect you to know everything about the language. Like, let's say I can speak Italian, but I'm not like fluent. So some kids in my class come up to me like, oh, you're Italian. You know what this is and what this is, what this is. I'm like, I'm Italian and I can speak it, but I'm not completely fluent. So. Uh-huh. Like when you're Italian, you should know. Yeah, you mean like certain words or something? Yeah. One of my favourite questions to ask children is whether they have a favourite word in their home or heritage language. The answers can sometimes be very informative. Here's Quinn's younger brother, Aidan, growing up in the Netherlands with English as his home language. Have you got a favourite word in English? Uh, Yes. What is it? Appropriate. Appropriate. That's a complicated word. Why is that your favourite word? Because I like it because it's a hard word. It is a hard word. It yeah. definitely is. Do you know what it means? Yeah, that you uh-huh. are sort of nice. Yeah, like if you behave appropriately. Yeah. And do you always behave appropriately? Not always. <laughs> Not always, really. Yeah. Aww. And here's our South African clet's head again, 
Riaboff. Have you got a favorite word in Afrikaans? I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, a couple of months back, I used to love swearing in Afrikaans. <laughs> I'm not sure we can have swearing. Yeah, I used to love doing that. And why? Why? Yeah, I was being badly influenced at the time. Uh-huh. Does it feel different if you swear in a different language? Yeah, definitely. In what way then? Swearing in Afrikaans and swearing in English. You can be saying the same words, but Afrikaans just sounds a lot more aggressive than English swearing. Okay. Well, maybe have you got something like a, a word that's something typically Afrikaans? Oh, that's typically Afrikaans. Ugandat. Uh, Ugandat? Yeah. Is that Ugandat? How are you? No, that's in Dutch. Uh, <laughs> Afrikaans means like how's it going Ugandat. Mm-hmm. yeah sounds a bit like dutch and what about tonga then can you teach me something in tonga i feel like gunjani gunjan no gunjani gunjani like you need to use more of like an accent to it gunjan gunjan no you say gunjan gunjani gunjani yeah like that okay i got it in the end what does it mean uh how are you Ah, so that's the same as Ukhadat. <laughs> yeah. Many bilingual children around the world attend Saturday or complementary schools to learn how to read or write in their heritage language. Some children, like Naya, really enjoy them. And what's it like going to Japanese school? It's nice because you get to make new friends, you get to learn new stuff. You may think, oh, it's school on a Saturday. It's actually very fun and entertaining. Oh, that's good. Because I could imagine a lot of people would think, oh, school on a Saturday as well. Others, however, need a bit more persuading. He's the 19-year-old Torin. He grew up in Hong Kong, attending both international and Cantonese-speaking schools. And he also went to Heritage Language School in Dutch. I know you followed Dutch education abroad, like Heritage Language Schools, it's often called, or Community Language Schools, where you uh, you go to classes in a language that's not the majority or the school language uh, in the place where you live. What what was that like? My primary school years, I actually went to a physical uh, school on the other side of Hong Kong from where I live. I'd go there every Wednesday after my, you could say, English school, my English classes. uh, And I'd have class for about two hours. I don't remember the Uh time. This is a way of sort of bringing a lot of Dutch people together in one place, right? A lot of Dutch families from Hong Kong would send their kids here. And this is where we'd almost, this is where we'd all meet up. We'd have discussions. We'd have fun, all that sort of stuff. Obviously, seven-year-old me didn't enjoy it so much. I'd rather be at home playing video games, but... (laughs) I have a seven-year-old at home who would probably agree with you if I tried to send him to English class. But I had a deal with my parents that uh, every Wednesday, because we went to Dutch school, as sort of compensation as our reward, we'd have a pancake day for, so we'd have pancakes for dinner. And Uh that tradition still stands today, even though I'm not at Dutch school and none of my brothers and sisters are at Dutch school. Every Wednesday is still pancake day. Oh, yeah. uh, In our house. That's uh, a fun (laughs) fact about us. Even though Torvan needed a bit of edible encouragement to get him there, with the benefit of hindsight, he could also see how he'd benefited from attending heritage language education. I think there were multiple benefits. Firstly, 
it does keep you sort of uh, up to date. It does keep you sort of linked to your home country. Uh-huh. So, for example, we'd, we wouldn't just learn Dutch in these schools. You'd also have discussions about what's happening in the Netherlands. It maintains that link a bit. In Hong Kong, I know there's also parents who are Dutch and kids who don't speak any Dutch at all. They have very little or to no interest in the Netherlands. They don't view themselves as Dutch anymore. A second reason that my parents would always tell me is um, it was always that with that um, aim of when I grew older, when I was 18, 19, like now, I would have the opportunity to study in the Netherlands. And knowing yeah. Dutch when you come back is it, just, it's beneficial because I mean, when you live here, everyone does speak English, except I think you are missing out a bit if you don't speak Dutch. And I do find, you know, when I compare myself to some of my international friends here, when we are meeting for new Dutch people, for example, or we are in a Dutch, uh, more Dutch community, it's a lot easier for me to sort of join that group and become a part of that group than it is for some of my international friends. Because my, my friends, they don't speak Dutch. Yeah, so I think another, it just, it helps you keep your option open. And in the sense that it helps maintain that link to your home country and it maintains that option that your child can go back to your home country and have an almost native experience alongside the international experience they've already had. One of the most frequently heard frustrations of bilingual parents is that they speak the heritage language to their child, but the child speaks the majority language, usually also the school language, back to them. One way in which you can help children to keep up the heritage language is to have them spend long stretches of time in a place where they have no choice but to use that language. Granted, this isn't always possible, but when it is, it can often help. In one episode in the first season of Clare's Heads, I spoke with the 32-year-old Katrina. She grew up in Canada with a Finnish-speaking mum and an English-speaking dad. Here's what she told me about the effects of her summers in Finland. So it's interesting. I think a reason why my Finnish was so strong when I was a child is because we'd go back to Finland pretty regularly. Um, I don't think it was every summer, but maybe every second summer. And we spent a year in Finland when I was 13, I think. And so I'd go back for like two months, like the entire summer. So it wasn't just a week here and there. It was like a really immersion in Finnish for the whole summer. I had cousins there that were my same age. And so I'd spend my summers with them speaking Finnish. And, and so when I was young, it was always much stronger because I'd have that immersion regularly. But then as I started getting older, and even in my teen years, I started working in the summers, And so I'd go back for less and then university. And my trips to Finland became much shorter. And with that, my Finnish became much weaker. And I noticed still today that um, if I'm talking about any subject that I would have talked about in my childhood, I can find all the words that I need to. <laughs> but if I try talking about a subject about like my work or when I'm studying or things that I would have kind of started doing more in my adult life, I don't have the vocabulary because I've never really practiced it. It's a bit of a point of frustration for me now when I do go back to Finland, just because I am a bit sad that I'm not stronger in the language and I feel almost like I'm losing it. And, and yeah, just that feeling of not being able to express myself in this language. And it's such a different language than all of the other languages I speak. Even between French and English, if, if you don't know a word, you can kind of <laughs> make it up or whereas in Finnish and even the way that phrases are constructed in Finnish it's such a different language. Being able to speak to family is another reason why many children say they think it's important to be able to speak all of their languages well. Here's Sarah again. Is it important to you to speak English and Arabic and Italian? 
Yes, because if I didn't, then I wouldn't really be able to communicate with the rest of my family. I'd have to always go, let's say, to my dad in Morocco, like, oh, can you tell them this or tell them that? But this way, if I actually know the language, I can speak to them because I feel like it'd be kind of awkward if I didn't. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose it makes it easier to have a better relationship with them, right? Yeah, and a connection, like, so you can actually understand each other. Yeah. And when you're older, what languages do you think you're going to speak? Definitely English. I might still speak Italian and Arabic, but mostly 100% English. Mm -hmm. What will make sure that you still speak Italian and Arabic? Probably my parents. <laughs> what do they do? They tell you not to speak English, or how does that work in your house? Sometimes they'll be like, "Oh, um, they like I'm not going to respond to you unless you say it in this." Or like, "Come on, you know how to say it." So they kind of encourage me to say it in it. But if I don't know that, they let me off. But I feel like I also do want to still keep like being able to speak those languages because it is a cool and handy thing. Yeah. No. So do you mind if they say, come on, you know how to say it in Arabic or Italian? No, I don't really mind. I think it's kind of like a fun challenge. Okay, good. That's nice. We'll talk more about what happens when you grow older as a bilingual and whether you can actually really lose a language in the new season. Another question I regularly ask our young Klet's heads is which language they dream in. Here's what the 11-year-old Ella had to say. She's growing up in Montreal, speaking English at home and French at school. So when you're asleep at night, which language do you dream in? I don't really know. I guess it's not really a mix of both. It's just kind of neither one. It's just kind of I'm dreaming in thoughts and my thoughts are in kind of thought language, I guess. <laughs> I don't really know. When our young Klet's heads grow up and have children themselves, they'll be able to choose which language or languages they use with their little ones. Perhaps unsurprisingly, my youngest guests often haven't given this question much thought. Here's Ella again. So imagine if you're, if you're older, probably a lot older, and you have children yourself. Which language would you, or languages are you going to speak to your children? Um, I think I would want them to be able to speak both because it would also be easier for them eventually. I guess it depends what language my boyfriend speaks, kind of. Mm -hmm. But I could speak to them in both. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> That's a long time off, right? Yeah. But for some of the older Klet's heads that I speak with, this question is a topical one and sometimes a cause for some head scratching. Here's Christy again. Remember that she grew up speaking Spanish and German in Austria and then moved to the US as a young adult. That's a really good question because I predominantly use English because it's been such a huge part of my life academically and my relationships are predominantly in English. Um, so that has kind of become my dominant language at this point. And um, I speak to my mom on the phone occasionally always in Spanish, but it's not like we talk every day for hours. And then German has kind of been on the back burner mostly. Um, uh, my father and I don't have the greatest relationships, so we don't talk very often. My brother and I don't really talk much either. But I had a baby a year ago and I decided to talk to her in German. So that's kind of like I'm speaking more German now yeah. since I've become a mother. But it's a very basic German. <laughs> So I find that really interesting then. So what mm -hmm. made you choose to speak German rather than, say, Spanish? 
Because I went to school in Austria and I feel like I'm just grammatically better equipped to teach you the language. And because Spanish, because it was like my second language, but it never came with the very thorough education that you get when you learn a language in like primary school and high school, like where all the kind of the foundations are set. Um, since I didn't have that with Spanish, I decided that um, German was the way I had to go. One of our other older Kletz heads, Katrina, doesn't have any children yet, but plans to start a family in the future. This is what she said when I asked her if she'd already thought about which language or languages she would speak to them. Yeah, I have a lot. <laughs> I think they'll obviously pick up French just because that's our at-home language and we'll probably raise them in Quebec. So from my side, I think English is a very useful language. And so I think I'll probably try and bring that there. But then I also have this sore point of wanting to teach them Finnish, but not knowing if I'll be able to, just because my Finnish isn't as strong as I'd like it to be and just not having those opportunities to use it. And the number of Finnish speakers is not immense. And so I, I kind of have that feeling of not passing on this language that's so unique and doesn't have a huge number of speakers in the world and, and just like a bit of guilt. It's, it's almost like you've got a sense of responsibility. Yeah, living in Canada, there's a lot of Indigenous languages in Canada. And I see how how there's a struggle at the moment with Indigenous languages, just with the history of colonization and the effort that the Canadian government put to try and erase Indigenous languages throughout the 20th century and earlier. And now there's kind of a bit of a revival in some of those Indigenous languages of people wanting to learn it. And true speakers are all elders. People in their 70s and 80s are the ones who are really fluent. And depending on the language, like some of the languages are stronger, I think, than others. I guess I'm seeing in Canada the struggle and kind of the the sadness that comes with languages that are endangered. And I know Finnish is nowhere near that, but just, I guess, it's not a dominant language in any way, shape or form in the world. And I guess I kind of feel like I can see how a language can become endangered. My mom was born and raised in Finnish and me, I would know Finnish and then my children are probably not going to be great speakers, <laughs> if at all. And so I can see how quickly it gets lost and that's kind of a, a bit of a sad point. It's always so interesting to hear about what motivates people to make certain choices when it comes to which language to speak to the children. As both Katrina's and Christie's answers illustrate, it's complex. There are a whole host of factors that play a role in making this decision. If you want to know more about this process, something we often refer to as family language planning, listen to the very first episode of Klet's Heads, where we talk about this in much more detail. We're going to end this special best of episode on a lighter note as we change subjects from bilingual babies to bilingual pets. Here's Aidan again. You've got two cats, right? Yeah. What what language do you speak to the cats? English. English. So, so are they bilingual then? Yeah. Do they speak any other languages? They are Norbolian, so they could speak Norbol. Uh, ah, Nepalese. Aha, very good. It turns out that this is not what Aidan meant. I thought that his cats were some fancy breed and he was trying to say that they were from Nepal. 
His mum told me afterwards that the cats were in fact a gift from Santa and so what he actually said was that they were from the North Pole and as such spoke North Polian. Now I'm sure we can forgive Aidan for not knowing that the language he's most likely referring to is called Sami. Hopefully he can forgive me for getting my North Polian mixed up with my Nepalese. Poor Ella would like to have a pet but isn't allowed one. I asked her if she were to get a dog, which language she'd use to speak to it. Probably English, um, because it's the language I speak at home and the pet I would have it at home. So, But what happens if you took it out for a walk? Would you switch to French? Probably not. Maybe. No, probably not. Well, it depends which language like I would teach it to sit and lie down in, and that would probably be English. Oh, it could be bilingual, right? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> bilingual dog? Why not? Yeah. I think my neighbors tried to teach their dog like some orders like I don't remember maybe it was German maybe it was Dutch I'm not sure. Did it work? I think he gave up on it. (laughs) I love the idea of bilingual pets. That was it then for this special best of episode of Klet's Head of the Week. As I said at the start we'll be back in a couple of weeks with more information about the upcoming third season. If you want to make sure you don't miss that or any more of the new episodes, make sure you subscribe to Clet's Heads in your favourite podcast app. Take care, and until then. If you want to know more about Clet's Heads, go to our website at kletsheadspodcast.org. That's where you'll also find more information about this episode. If you want to make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to Clet's Heads using your favourite podcast app. If you know someone else who might enjoy the podcast, then I'd really appreciate it if you would share it with them. You can do this via the website or in your podcast app. And if you're on social media, we'd love it if you followed us. Our handle is at Kletzheads. Thanks for listening and until the next time. Or as we say in Dutch, till the volgende keer.